Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, you're not going to get a lot of podcasts from me this week. I'm down here in Florida for the week on vacation. My son is having spring break, so I brought the family down to Disney World for, you know, the family vacay. But I am going to take a break this morning to record some of my thoughts on the economic news of the past couple of days and, again, the market's reaction or lack thereof uh, to this uh, cold water being thrown in the faces of those who are still clinging to the belief uh, that the U.S. economy is recovering and that the Fed is going to raise rates. Of course, economic news has come out. It's been bad news, uh, and the markets seem to shrug it off, in particular the currency markets. You know, every time bad economic news unexpectedly comes out, right, uh, the dollar does sell off, or maybe not every time, but most of the time. In fact, I can normally tell when the news is coming out because I'll see a dip down in the dollar, and I'll say, aha, you know, the news, the economic news must have just been released and I'll go and I'll check Bloomberg to see uh, what it was. But I can tell when it comes out because you can see the blip uh, where the dollar auto, all, all of a sudden just starts getting hit lower because the bad news is always a surprise because nobody expects it. But then what happens is the dollar sells off when it gets bad news like happened on on Tuesday with all the bad news that I will get to. And then it rallies back overnight. Because the traders are conditioned to buy every dip in the dollar because they know the U.S. economy is strong and the Fed's going to raise rates. And so they buy every dip, even though the reason the dollar dipped is because the economic news is bad. But again, everybody dismisses it because it doesn't count because it happened during the winter. You know, it was cold or maybe it snowed. And so we can throw out all the bad economic data that happens in January, February and March. But, you know, the problem with that logic is if you're going to throw away the first quarter every year yet still expect 3% economic growth, that's hard to do when you're zeroing out one quarter of the year because it's hard for the rest of the year to make up for that one bad quarter if it's going to happen every single winter. So you can't think we have a strong economy if you think, uh, you know, the the winter doesn't count. It'd be kind of like maybe uh, for a football team, Uh, They only get three quarters uh, in which to add up points, that one of the quarters doesn't count for them. It'd be hard for such a team to constantly win games if they were only playing for three quarters of the time and you couldn't take their score for the other quarter. But be that as it may, this is what people think. If the first quarter is bad, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter maybe to the Fed because they're looking at the second quarter and the third quarter. And yes, There are people who are expecting a repeat of last year because last year, all the weak economic data that came out during the winter, we did make up for it in the third and fourth quarter, but not for the whole year. The whole year was still pretty weak, 
much weaker than people thought it was going to be. But yes, we did have a good GDP number in Q2 and Q3. And by the way, this winter wasn't even that bad. That doesn't even seem to bother people, the fact that it wasn't that severe a winter. Maybe it was colder than normal, but it certainly wasn't any snowier in most of the country. And so it's the snow, maybe more than the cold, that actually disrupts the business activity. But if you remember, I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcasts, but the reason for the big rebound in the uh, GDP in the second and third quarter was twofold. One was Obamacare. All of a sudden, people that didn't have insurance had to buy Obamacare. And that extra spending was in the GDP, even though a lot of that money had to be borrowed, right? And a lot of people would have preferred not to have bought that insurance, but they were threatened with a penalty tax or whatever you want to call it to get the Supreme Court to validate it. But the more important driver, particularly in Q3, was inventory build, inventory build. And that was because business was so convinced that there was going to be a recovery that they loaded up on inventory to prepare for it. Right? They wanted all the stuff that the consumers were going to buy in this mythical recovery. But if you remember, I described it back then as a mirage. And the reason I like the metaphor mirage is because from a distance, right, it looks real. And so people were looking at this recovery from a distance, and they thought it was real. It's like the guy who's lost in the desert, and all of a sudden he sees an oasis, and there's a pool of water there. And he's, this is great. I'm going to finally get to drink. And by the time he gets there and puts his hand in the water, he gets a handful of sand, right? And then, and then he has to spit it out because it's not what he was expecting. Well, I think people are going to have to spit this thing out because the recovery is not what business was expecting because now they're loaded up with inventory that they can't sell because the inventory to sales ratio is the highest it's been since mid-2009. And what does that mean for Q2 or Q3? It means no inventory build, which is what saved us last time, and we don't have Obamacare. So what is it? What are people holding out for when they're dismissing all this bad economic news and counting on the consumer to come out uh, with guns blazing, credit cards in both hands, hitting the malls, and spending with reckless abandon, even though he's already broke, and all of the data would would confirm that. As a matter of fact, as I'm recording this right now, oil prices are up $1.80 a barrel. We're at 55.20. This is the first time we've been above $55 a barrel all year. So you got to go back to December to get an oil price as high as it is right now. Now, you know, riddle me this, Batman. If the consumer could barely make it um, earlier in the year, in the first quarter, with the benefit of falling oil prices, what's going to happen if oil prices are now rising for the balance of the year? Because I think oil is bottomed out. Certainly if we close here, and it looks like we probably will, right, um, we have a huge double bottom, and oil could trend back up to $70, $80 a barrel between now and year end. And now the consumer's in trouble because what was a headwind, I mean a tailwind, becomes a headwind. And think about this. I mean people were expecting the consumer to really benefit from lower gas prices. And I think he did, except – the consumer was in such bad shape, he could barely walk. He got a crutch in the form of cheap gas prices that he's been propping himself up with. Now that crutch is about to be taken away. So the numbers would have been even weaker had it not been from the salvation of cheap gas prices. This was like manna from heaven, but now that's going away. And now 
with all the problems that the average American is struggling with. He's got a low-paying part-time job. His cost of living is going up. And now the cost of gas is going to go up too, right? So now things are going to really compound. And if you were counting on the consumer to bail out the economy in the, in the second and third quarter, how is he going to do it when he also has to pay more for gasoline? But nobody is really worrying about this. Everybody is so convinced they've got it right. All these traders who are loaded up, Law on the dollar, short everything else. They're all on the same side of the boat, and they're so convinced they're right. They will ignore all the evidence that they're wrong until one day they can't because they're overwhelmed uh, with, with, with that. It's going to be a wake-up call, kind of like it was with the subprime mortgages, where people for years were convinced that the mortgages they were buying were worth the paper they were issued on, that they were worth more than par, because after all, everybody knew real estate never goes down. People always pay their mortgages, right? So these pa- this paper is good, money good paper, until all of a sudden it wasn't, until all of a sudden the bankruptcies hit, the subprime lenders went out of business. All of a sudden it was an avalanche, and everybody came to the same conclusion at the same time, and they all tried to rush from one side of the boat to the other, and it was impossible, and the market imploded. And the same thing is going to happen in the foreign exchange markets when people realize how wrong they've got this story, that it's not about a U.S. recovery. It's about the U.S. relapsing into recession. It's not about higher rates, but when and how big is QE4 going to be? Now, let us get to the data du jour or the data of the week uh, and dissect all the bad news uh, that Wall Street is ignoring, particularly, particularly foreign exchange traders. Right? And not necessarily stock market. The stock market goes up on the bad news because they sense that it means uh, interest rates stay lower for longer. But the currencies traders are the most reluctant to give up the ghost because this dollar story has had a lot of legs. There are a lot of people playing this game, and there's a lot of people who are about to have their heads handed to them. Also, to the shorts in the oil market. You know, everybody's been talking $20 oil, $10 oil. We, we know we close up here above $55. Uh, you know, there's a long way for the oil price to go up. So there could be lots of trend changes here, changing trend in the dollar, changing trend in the oil market, changing trend in the gold market, you know, still hanging out around 1200. But if the dollar is going to go down, if oil prices are going to go up, gold prices are going to go up. This whole phony baloney story is unraveling. And again, remember too, that if we get weak economic data, you know, people are saying, okay, the Fed might raise in June. But if we don't get the recovery, uh, in April. And so far, the data doesn't look good. We've got some April data t- I'm going to get to. But if we don't get a recovery in April, then obviously the Fed's not going to raise. Uh, if we don't get a recovery in the spring, the Fed can't raise rates in June. Now they're going to have to wait uh, for the summer. And I'm sure a lot of people will be saying, yeah, the summer is going to be good. The rate hikes are going to come in September. But if the summer isn't good, and it probably won't be good, and I don't know, you know, now maybe they're going to try to blame the bad economic data in the spring on the rain, and maybe they'll try to blame the bad economic data in the summer on the heat, right? I don't think so. I, I tend to think that the blame game when it comes to weather only works for cold and snow and not other elements, right? But who knows? They might be able to get away with it. But if we do have bad economic data in the summer, even if it's because of the heat, how is the Fed going to raise in the fourth quarter? It can't. Because there's no way the fourth quarter is going to be strong if the second and third quarter are weak, which means the whole year is weak, which means now we're in 2016 and it's an election year. Is Janet Yellen going to raise rates in a weak economy in an election year when she's trying to get Hillary Clinton elected president? Not a chance. 
So all of a sudden now the, the rate hikes are postponed till after the elections. But again, between now and then is going to be QE4 because electing Hillary Clinton is going to take a lot more than just not raising rates. The Fed's going to have to really help out. And the only way it can do that is with QE4. But let us go to the economic data. Retail sales came out early yesterday morning and the numbers were not horrible, but they were not as good as Wall Street was looking for. And remember, we were rebounding from some very, very bad numbers for the prior few months. I mean, horrible retail sales. So they were expecting a 1.1% jump. Instead, the bounce was only 0.9. More importantly, uh, take out autos because, you know, you got the subprime auto market uh, where people are buying cars with money they don't have and they're never going to repay their loans thanks to the government. But strip out autos and they were looking for a gain of 0.6 and we only got a gain of 0.4. So that was that was only two thirds of the increase that Wall Street was expecting. So that was bad, bad economic news. Also, we got the March uh, small business optimism index came out. It fell to ninety five point two. That's the lowest level in nine months. And hiring plans in small businesses dropped to the lowest level in six months. And, of course, I think small business is going to become increasingly less optimistic or more pessimistic as the phony nature of this recovery uh, is revealed. We also got business inventories for February rising to 0.3 based on weak wholesale sales. Inventory to sales ratio, again, I mentioned earlier, holding steady at 1.36. That is the highest level of inventory to sales since July of 2009. So if businesses are already loaded up on inventories that they never should have accumulated in the first place last year, they're not going to do it again. And, you know, go back and listen to my podcast or not my podcast shift radio episodes from a year ago. I said this at the time. I said that businesses were making a mistake, that the GDP numbers were simply and a, a basically pulling forward from 2015 that businesses were loading up on inventory that they weren't going to be able to sell. And so I said, dismiss this. The economy is not strong. The data is not really reflecting reality. It is all about perception. And now that is going to be uh, validated. You're going to see the big contraction or the failure of GDP growth in 2015 because the fact that it never should have been as strong as it was in 20, in 2014 and If it wasn't, then we wouldn't be talking about rate hikes. The Fed would still be doing QE. But let's get to the numbers that came out today because we got a horrible print for the April. And this is an April number. April Empire State Manufacturing Index was expected to improve slightly from last month. Last month was 6.9. It was supposed to go up to 7. Not that 6.9 is great, but, you know, 7 would have been better. It would have been an improvement. The expectations ranged from, I think, plus three to plus ten and a half. What did we get? Drum roll, please. Well, don't have a drum. What did we get? Minus 1.9. Minus 1.9, right? That's near a two-year low. Um, And also, if you look at the internals, they were horrible, horrible. Employment plunged, hours worked plunged, new orders new orders tumbled to, I think, three-year lows, and prices paid went up. I mean, just an all-out bad report uh, for manufacturers, and that wasn't it. We got more news. We got March industrial production 
dropping 0.6. Now, they were looking for it to drop, but only 0.3. So the drop was twice as bad as people had been expecting. And this is the fourth consecutive month that industrial production has been below estimates. And right now, we're at the lowest level since August of 2012. Again, bad economic data. Can't blame it on the weather. This data is coming in in April. Unless, again, you're going to blame it on the April showers. But the news just keeps on coming out bad. And again, it's this cognitive dissonance in the currency pits, uh, maybe in Wall Street, too, on people not perceiving uh, the change. But changes are coming. Look, as I, now oil's up better than $2 a barrel. We're at fifty-five seventy. The Canadian dollar is having a big, big run. You know, the Canadian Central Bank today left interest rates on hold at 0.75, which might have helped the Canadian dollar. But maybe this rise in the price of oil is also helping it move up. This is the highest I've seen the Canadian dollar in some time. In fact, let me let me pull up a chart. I mean, the Canadian dollar had been very weak because it had been benefited, been hurt by the oil prices. So the Canadian dollar is really now at the highest level it's been since early January. So that's one currency that may have been maybe in the process of really bottoming out. Euro, of course, still having problems uh, with Greece and other uh, perception issues. But, you know, these old feelings, right, people are dogmatic in that and they don't want to reject something that they've embraced. I mean, it's hard for people to admit that they're wrong. It's hard for people to change. So, again, no matter how much bad news they get, people don't want to acknowledge uh, that things are not what they hoped. Certainly, the Federal Reserve doesn't want to acknowledge it, but the economic data certainly suggests, validates what my thesis has been all along, and that those who have been betting on a recovery have made the wrong bet, and they're about to lose a lot of money. They just don't know it yet. Hello, this is Peter Schiff. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail, silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com and download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download The Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit shiftsilver.com to download my free report. That's shiftsilver.com.